morning, afternoon or evening and welcome to the Advice Show podcast, bringing you UK and global insights into the financial planning profession. I'm Laura Perkis, a reporter at CityWire New Model Advisor, and today I'm going to be grilling marketing guru Dan Graham, Head of Community Experience and Marketing at NextGen Planners, about what makes a good marketing strategy for financial planning firms. Hi Dan, how's it going? I'm good, I'm delighted to be here and I think it's the first time that I've ever been called a marketing guru as well which is actually kind of scary that puts a lot of pressure on my shoulders there or i hope <laughs> i don't disappoint anyone <laughs> no i'm good i'm good excellent and last time we were doing this you were interviewing me so we've we've swapped roles <laughs> yeah it's, it's it's weird I, I always say this it's weird being in the hot seat once like when you're usually used to interviewing people it's like it's like um god i'm going to show my age here but it's like michael parkinson being being interviewed it just doesn't feel right or graham norton it just like just doesn't feel right i'm not saying that i'm graham norton by the way i'm by, by no means as good as him but yeah. well before we get into the nitty-gritty of marketing can you briefly explain uh, a bit about next gen and what your role is within the community definitely yes yeah. so um the primary kind of role of next gen in the financial planning profession is a community for financial we call them financial service heroes um and the name is a bit misleading because it sounds like we target age when in reality we're talking about mindset with next gen and what that means is is the next generation of financial planning so when we think of financial planning it's true financial planning and and stuff that didn't used to happen 20 30 years ago and there's no age limit on that you don't need to be a certain age to deliver a certain piece of financial planning there's brilliant financial planners who are in the 20s and there's brilliant financial planners who are in the 60s what we want to do is bring them all together in one place where they can share you know, innovate, come up with ideas and, and just engage with each other. And we also, I mean, that's just one part of what we do. We also run the training contract, which actually trains people up to be either level four or level six qualified as financial planners, which you'll know a lot about, Laura, because you're actually on that as well. Right? Um, and then we have the Blastoff program, which is teaching people how to, well, coaching people on how to launch their own financial planning business, because it's a big, scary world out there when you're trying to launch your own financial planning business. So we give them 52 weeks and longer of, of coaching on how to do that. And then we've also got the Future Leaders program as well, which is a course for people who want to become leaders within their financial planning firms. So, you know, there's not really anywhere for them to go at the moment if they're financial planners, but they want to progress. Um, usually financial planning is seen as like kind of the end goal when actually most people want to progress even further than that. So we teach them how to be directors and teach them how to be on the board and things like that as well. So there's a few things in there. Um, and then, of course, we also have the conference as well, which has been going since it was 2017 it started so we've been going for four years now uh, this this it was actually just a week ago today as we're speaking so last week we had 100 speakers from all around the world so six continents and they were all financial planners or related to financial planning and they'd never had any experience of, of of public speaking or anything like that beforehand and they absolutely smashed it and it was a brilliant few days and loads of innovation and inspiration in there and we we say it's the largest financial planning conference in the world um it probably is by by definitely by way of speakers i don't think i've ever been to a conference with over 100 speakers before um so i think it is in terms of speakers everything else we just kind of bring it anyways but um but again can you, you kind of asked me what my role is as well so my role is to to run the community and make sure that people are having a good time they're engaged with everything that we put out there so we put on you know multiple events every month we 
do loads of th um, activities and exercises and stuff for our, for our members as well. Um, and it's also my role to represent the community at board meetings. So anything that gets brought up at board meetings, which is related to the community, it's kind of my, my job to make sure that it goes through okay. And then, of course, the second part of my job title, which I don't think anyone's ever had in the past before, is the marketing. So it's marketing, social media, branding, and general promotion of our community as well. So that's a very, very long-winded answer of, of to, to your question there. Brilliant. And there's so much going on, and you've done so much in such a short space of time. Uh, Next Gen is awesome. Mm -hmm. um, so excellent. The marketing will come in really useful here. Um, so before you really got stuck into your role at Next Gen, you were actually a financial planner, and you did your level four qualifications. So uh, <laughs> before we launch into the marketing again, do you want to explain why you decided to kind of leave that behind and go into the marketing side? Yeah, so there's, there's a, I, I will, I'll be, more brief about it than I usually am because I, I did a talk about this at the conference last week um but basically it was that um I was waking up every morning and realizing that this wasn't for me um in in essence I was having a, a mini panic attack every time I woke up every morning um because I wasn't doing something that I loved and wasn't doing something that I enjoyed uh, and it went on for quite a while and I realized one day one morning when I woke up I, I'd spoken to someone about this and they said you know what's worse is it to carry on in your job that you don't enjoy for 40 years and live a life full of unhappiness? Or is it to you know make a change while you're young, do something that you're really, really interested in? And it just happened that that was marketing and, and branding and running a small business. Um, so, you know, spoke to my boss, Rohan Savidyoti, about it as well and everything. And he was, you know, completely on board with what I wanted to do. Um, and it was just that it was simply just that I was doing something that I didn't love. And switched and pivoted towards something that I that I really do love and I really value my time um you, I can't remember how much it is I, I spoke about it at the conference last week but I think you spend like 60,000 hours or something at work throughout your life uh, yeah that's a terrifying <laughs> thought and like you know if we're going to put it as I said last week if you're going to put it into financial terms can we truly afford to spend 60,000 unhappy hours in our life hopefully you're saying no because in reality that's just not a deal is it you can't you can't spend sixty thousand of your hours in your life unhappy so i just decided i couldn't do that and shifted over to marketing awesome so you're still in the financial planning community you didn't leave that behind altogether yeah and um, yeah. so what we're going to do today is is talk about how financial planners can really use marketing to their advantage and some of the top marketing tips you've learned that advisors should be using uh, in their business so to start with what do you think is the biggest challenge financial planners face when it comes to beginning marketing their firm? Yeah, it's a good question. So I think everyone would agree that the first thing is decision paralysis um, because it's such a big topic and it's such a big scary thing. Like, you know, when people launch their business, they often forget that they're going to actually have to go out there and get business. Um, and that's essentially what, what marketing is. It's, it's extremely daunting to know where to start with this kind of stuff, what to do, what's the best way, am I spending my money wisely, am I invested enough time into kind of this kind of stuff. And because it's so hard to justify all the time that you you may spend doing it, a lot of people just don't do it because they just can't justify it because they, they, they feel uncomfortable, they feel like they don't know what they're doing and they eventually just put it off and either hand it to someone else or eventually, you know, a few people have seen doing is just not do it uh, and that's you know quite it's quite damaging really because there's no point in having a business if you're not going to do any marketing as we'll talk about later mm -hmm. so i think the biggest thing is definitely the the fear and the decision paralysis that comes with it because it's such a big thing 
Yeah, absolutely. I wouldn't even know where to start. And I think I'm quite into my social media and stuff. Um, so something else that we've talked about before, um, as you know, I used to work in PR. And something I really noticed is that people got very confused between the terms marketing, PR and advertising. So I was wondering, in your experience, what really differs those three things? Yes. So advertising and PR are actually part of marketing, but they are just tools. So there's loads of tools in marketing. There's not like social media, there's advertising, there's PR, there's content marketing. There's, that's the problem that we talked about there. There's just so much of stuff, these tools that you can use that we often get caught up in the tools and forget about what the actual point of marketing is. So if we're going back to like first principles of what marketing is, it's, it's simply just making sure that your message reaches the right audience at the right time in the right format and at the right place. So all of those things means different things, but I'll focus on the message and the message that we're looking to get to people is simply, it's the thing that is missing in the customer's life or the client's life. And it's the thing that you provide. So the message is just that bit in the middle that communicates you guys and puts you actually together so that you can help each other out. So you're helping them out by filling that gap in their life and they're helping you out by providing you with something in return, which is usually money. Um, so advertising and PR are actually part of marketing. But like I said, they're just, they're just tools in there. They're just part of the marketing mix. There's so much more to do. And by the way, they are actually extremely useful tools. As, as you know, you know, working in PR, you know how useful PR is and advertising is as well, but they're, they're not the, the main things that you should focus on. There's so much more that you should focus on as well. So for someone who's never done any marketing before and doesn't know where to begin, um, if you were going to set up your own business tomorrow and start marketing it, what is the very first thing you would do? Mm, that is probably the most difficult question that I've had ever. Um, because <laughs> I, so the, the main thing I would say is, is give everything away, not maybe not everything, but, but most of your stuff away for free because. Oh, I like yeah, that. <laughs> and it's, and that means content, um, Sorry, I shouldn't have started with content because that's quite confusing. Time is probably the biggest thing. Um, give away your time for free and say yes to every single thing that comes up. That is marketing. That is marketing. You know, see everything as a marketing opportunity. See everything as, a, as an opportunity. Even, even if your mates, uh, you know, even if someone offers you a chance to go somewhere, even just for a chilled out drink or something like that, see it as a marketing opportunity. Say yes to it and give away your time, ideas expertise content everything that you can you can that you have to offer give it away for free because you, in reality you don't really have a leg to stand on to say that you've you can you should ask people to pay for it just yet because you've got nothing to prove yourself with so therefore give your time away for free i think that's what a lot of people do and they find it extremely useful and i think if you spoke to any business owner you would probably find that they at the start they gave away a lot of stuff for free and they can also you know, it's just about building up that exposure. So there are a lot of podcasts out there, as we as we know, because we're talking them on right now. And there's a lot of live shows and there's a lot of, you know, like creative content that's out there. And I would just say to, to try and get onto as much as you can and get your exposure built up and get your network built up. Um, if there's a local radio show, you don't even have to, you know, pay to get an advertisement on there. Just say, you know, could I come on for an interview or something like that, or a local podcast, something like that would, would be really good as well. So that's a difficult question and I hope I've answered it well, but you know, the biggest, the biggest thing is just to give away loads for free. 
Um, I don't think that ever stops, really. I don't think you should ever stop giving away stuff for free. It just gets less and less over time as you start to build up your exposure a little bit more. Yeah, that's an awesome tip. And I don't know what I was thinking, but it wasn't that. So that's really good. <laughs> good. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, and what, what I was talking about actually last week at the conference is um, a good sort of PR strategy that people might not think of if you haven't got actual news is to just um, give away your opinions. It's kind of the same principle of just giving away stuff for free. And Definitely that. is. I think for advisors, uh, sorry, I don't mean to, you know, actually um, bring your model advisor down, but if for advisors, if they're looking to get out there, perhaps a, a, a magazine that is focused on their target audience as advisors might not be the best place to start off. It's no problem getting in there eventually. You know, talking to your peers is a good way to build up your network, but I'd probably build up the network of the people that you actually want to serve first. So PR in, you know, local magazines and and stuff like that would work really, really well. And it's often free, you know, because because these magazines and newspapers and things are looking for stories. So it's a great way, often free, to to promote your business. Uh, like I said, though, there's nothing wrong eventually in in getting into that kind of industry stuff as well. But I'll probably start with the people that you want to serve first because they're the ones who are going to pay you. Yeah, absolutely. That makes perfect sense that you want to target consumers first to help get new business. Um, cool. So the next thing I want to talk about is websites, as these are still quite a divisive issue among some advisors. Um, in fact, I wrote a piece in the early days of my journalism career that found 14% of financial planning firms didn't have a website at all. So how important do you think websites actually are? Yeah, very. Um, in, in in one word, uh, I guess kind of what we, what we were going to talk about is referrals and, and kind of this word of mouth, or it's now called word of mouse, like a clickable mouse, because it's online. Um, that We all know that that's number one. We all know that that is the main way that people get clients is through existing clients and things like that. That's absolutely fine. And, and I think it should be used. But I think everyone does need a website, especially in today's digital world. And especially when everything is done online nowadays your website is your digital shop front. So can you imagine going back to the 1980s or 1990s and launching a business without a shop or without an office or something like that? It <laughs> wouldn't be possible. So if you, if you bring that back to today, 40 years later, nowadays everything's changed so much that you realistically you need a website. And if you think about it, if, you, if someone refers one of their friends to you and you don't have a website, what have they got to go off other than that other person's goodwill? I mean, goodwill is sometimes can carry people through. That's all people, a lot of people need. But if it was me and I was being recommended someone, I would, the first thing would be to rec be recommended someone. But the second thing I would do is go onto their website and find out a little bit more about them because they haven't done everything that they need to do to convince me that I'm going to go and work with them yet. All they've done is just, you know, show up. That's, that's all they've done. And I think as well, what I should say is websites don't need to be this, you know, put up on a pedestal that a lot of people think that they they are they don't need to be flashy they don't need to have all the bells and whistles they don't even need to you know be massively well creative or design or anything like that if you're just looking for a, which what most people should be especially in financial services is a brochure website which just explains what you do and who you help i mean you can probably get a website going in five minutes you can do it you can do a do-it-yourself website in five minutes i know that it's probably not going to look the best but in reality, if we're thinking back to simple terms, you can get a website up and running in five minutes, which is, you know, crazy that we live in the world where you can do that nowadays. So to answer your question, they're very, very important. And I think everyone realistically should have one. Yeah, I, I actually have a website 
um, die set up and yeah it took about five minutes and if I can do it hopefully anyone can do it <laughs> yeah yeah there's, you know some I'm sorry to digress a little bit but there's just to give people kind of points of context for that there's great websites like Wix and Squarespace and things where you don't even need to design them you can just put in what you want and the, the, the AI the artificial intelligence will actually design the website for you based on what you put in there mm-hmm. which is absolutely crazy I think it's like I think some of the websites I've created and designed have cost like 13 pounds a month for a website, yeah. um, which is certainly less than what most people would expect to pay for a website. It's not, it's not easy by, by no means, you know, it's not to design a website, but you know, give it a go. Even if it doesn't work, what's, what's the worst that can happen and you lose 13 pounds. Yeah. It's like a meal out really, isn't it? 13 pounds. Uh, it makes it sound very, like very cheap marketing to me. <laughs> so in your opinion, what are three key things that every firm should have on their website's homepage? Yeah, so this is, um, as well, there's a, there's a really good book that has kind of opened my eyes to everything. Um, and it's called Building Story Brand by Donald Miller. So if, if people haven't read that book, it's only a short book. I think it's only a couple of hundred pages, but it's a fantastic book. And I'm really just borrowing from him. Um, but the three things that I would definitely say you need to have on your homepage is, firstly, what you do. And the kind of the, the the jury's out on whether you should try and be arty farty with your words or whether you should just be very clear i'm on the side of just being very clear so if you are a financial planner say what you do so say we help people plan for retirement i'm on that side you can try and be arty farty and say it's about financial freedom and all that kind of stuff if you want to but i'll probably i would go for the really clear language about what you do number two is who you help so when someone lands on your website, they're wasting their time in reality because their, their brain is saying, how can we get off this website? Because it's not helping me survive. So you've got to be really, really quick with your words and say who you help. If it doesn't resonate with them straight away, they're just going to click off or go to the next page. And then the third thing is, is a really, really clear call to action. And what I mean by that is, what do you want them to do when they land on your website? Now, that does that, you can be really, really upfront with them and just say, book a call. That is a really upfront call to action. I would probably recommend having that on a website somewhere, but you can be a bit softer with it. So you can be, you know, download my one page guide or, you know, um, read the first chapter of my book or, you know, all these kind of things that we see or sign up to my newsletter. They, those all count as calls to action. It just depends on what you want people to do when they land on your website. So do you want to go soft or do you want to go really, you know, hard when they land on your website? So three things are explain what you do, explain who you help and have a call to action on there yeah uh, awesome i love that you've just rounded that up at the end very concise love it um yeah cool so you've just touched on content again there uh things like newsletters and we talked about this a bit earlier um content is a marketing strategy i feel like i'm seeing being used more and more for example a lot of firms seem to have their own podcast now uh, and others have their own blog so what kind of content do you think actually works best for growing and retaining retaining an audience yeah so podcasts are great um they're becoming it's becoming a quite noisy space um there's a lot like as you said there there's a lot of them out there we're even talking on one right now um Mm. so there's a lot of them out there it's very competitive so unless you're really going to change someone's life you know i'll probably you know the podcasts are great um but have a think about what your actual point of them is before you actually launch one something i don't see many financial planners do and i think this is an area that we can all improve in is webinars um 
informational webinars about something that the client, the audience doesn't have a clue on, or, you know, really wouldn't know where to go for help. They don't have to be long, uh, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, something like that at lunchtime would be a satisfactory amount of time, as long as you can get your message across to people. But the main benefit of these is, is that it adds people into your, I hate using this word, but marketing funnel. So if they give you their email address in exchange for coming on the webinar, that starts them off in the journey of, of, of your marketing funnel, because now they're at the, at the top and it's your job to work them like the way down to the bottom. Um, what I would say is, is that the content that you are doing in these webinars must be very, very simple, uh, easy to digest. And this is the most important one is absolutely necessary. So, we're absolutely bombarded, aren't we, with so much information and so much stuff on a daily basis that if something isn't absolutely necessary to help us survive or better our lives, we'll probably just scroll past it or not engage with it. So whatever you're going to, to do in these webinars, you're going to have to make sure that it actually does solve a problem and it does help people out. So to give you an example um, of how to know what your audience is asking, there's a really cool free tool well, it's free once a day. It's called Answer the Public. I don't know if we can promote things on this podcast, Laura. We've already named brands. Don't worry about it. <laughs> other, other SEO tools are available. Um, but yeah, it's, it's called Answer the Public. And basically, you just put in a, a random search term in there. So for instance, I always use um, retirement planning. Um, and then it shows you like 60, 70 results about what people are act actually asking Google about retirement planning. Mm. And then if you could make a webinar or similar piece of content you know short snappy engaging interesting content about that thing i'd find it really hard to scroll past that kind of stuff if i was literally asking google a question you know i would really find it hard to scroll past it so tools like that are just absolutely awesome and i would definitely recommend people people doing but, but webinars is is an area that i think we need to do a lot more work on you're right, actually. Uh, I'm going to bring in a horrible experience, uh, sorry, example here. <laughs> but last year I wrote a piece about the tapered annual allowance. Mm. I won't go into any more detail on that. But in my quest to try and understand that, I definitely watched uh, several webinars because the text was just too much. Yeah. And if someone was, you know, to make it really fun and engaging and, and interesting for you as well, that's even better, isn't it? You know, if you can have someone who's really you know, optimistic about it and doesn't kind of just have a PowerPoint presentation about it or something like that. They make it creative and they make it interesting. You know, you're never going to forget that really because you'll always come back to it and you're never going to forget the person who delivered it either. And that's what you want to do. You want to, you want to be there in your client's minds whenever they're thinking about this kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, so whatever content route you do decide to go down, you know, podcasts, blogs, webinars, whatever. How often should you be posting to keep your audience uh, engaged? Yeah, um, there's a simple answer to this is that I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. I've seen, I've done so much research into this, uh, you know, reading and, and actually trying some stuff out. I still don't know. Um, there's probably is someone out there who does know. There's a lot, probably a lot of people out there who do know, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it comes with some testing. It comes with... So, you, so test it out, see what works for you and your firm. Um, the bare minimum that I've seen a lot of financial planning firms do, and I'd probably recommend is once a month. Um, that seems like not a lot, but you know, it's, it's a hard work putting out engaging content all the time. So it actually doesn't seem like much, but in reality, it does turn into a lot of work. Mm -hmm. 
I would say probably once a week is best. At Next Gen Planners, we tend to do about one a day, maybe. Um, but that's just us. So there's no reason why that would work for anyone else. So sorry to have a crap answer to this question, but I really, I really don't know. I would start with maybe once a month and see if that gets any engagement. If it doesn't, then try and put it up a little bit. And if it's costing you too much time and you're not seeing anything out of it, then maybe you need to have a think about what you're putting out there or how much you're posting as well. So Dan, if you know the answer to this next question, how long do you think you should expect to wait until you start to really see the benefits of putting out um, regular content? You're going to hate me again because I, I, I don't know. Um, it's, it's what I will say is, is that it's not going to happen overnight. So, yeah. you know, no one should expect to see results overnight by no means. It takes months. It can't even take years to build up an engaged audience. And I don't want to scare people. You know, that's the opposite of what I'm trying to do is, is, is scare people, but it, I'm just trying to be realistic here. You can't expect just an engaged audience overnight. It's going to take a while. Um, but you should keep going because, the benefits are enormous and and this is the way of of marketing in the future now we know that don't we know we know that content is king they always say um so in reality you're going to have to do it at some point so even if you don't get much engagement at the start and you feel like you're talking to no one i wouldn't be so sure i think you are talking to someone maybe they just don't engage or you know the, the good thing about content is, is that the majority of it is evergreen so even if you put a podcast out today and it gets 10 listens in the first week or something, you might feel really disheartened about that. But you've got to remember that people can listen to that over the next five, 10 years. So you're going to reach people for the next five to 10 years with that evergreen piece of content that's always going to sit online. So you shouldn't just think about it as this once in a lifetime thing where you're just creating content once. It's going to be out there for a while. And what I would say is, is that content should be fun and creative. So you should, you know, you should enjoy creating content. If it's, if it's enjoyable for you, it's going to be enjoyable for the audience as well. And that's what you've got to remember. So it should be fun. I don't know how long it's going to take, but it's definitely not going to be overnight. Great. I'll take that answer, Dan. I'll take it. <laughs> so, yeah, you were saying earlier that podcasts are quite a noisy space now. Um, a lot of people have got in on that. So what is one area of marketing that you think financial planners are, are currently falling short on that someone uh, someone new to marketing could get ahead in? Yeah. So it, it kind of comes back into my my answer before about webinars. Um, and to be honest, I don't like, I, I hate slagging, you know, masses amount of people off for not doing something, especially when it's not their specialism. So I don't want to say that, you know, oh, financial planners are bad at doing this because you guys aren't. It's just an area that's perhaps missing, but we definitely webinars. And I repeat everything that I've said before, you know, they should be free for the audience. And they're also relatively free for you as well. They don't cost much to run. Um, you know, if you have a Zoom account, you can run a webinar. You don't need any flashy email software or anything like that. You can just use MailChimp, which is free. Um, Twitter, everything like that, you know, LinkedIn, Facebook, all the social media sites are free. So, you know, it shouldn't cost you much to run a webinar. They're easy to run. Um, so, you know, you literally just need, you can do a PowerPoint presentation if you want to. Um, you don't even need to do one of them. You can just talk for 15 minutes if you want to. They, they're short, so they don't require much of your time. They don't require much of the audience's time. Uh, and they help, as I mentioned earlier, they help make you, they help you to build an audience, you know, a massive audience really easily. To give you an example of that, I would happily, if I was a business owner, a client, and someone was putting on a 15, 20 minute informational session at lunchtime about how I could save more tax in my business. Yeah, 
I'm, I'll probably give my email address in exchange for that information, especially if I could watch it again and again and again and again. I would definitely give my email address in exchange for that. So that's how you get people into your audiences by giving something away for free. And that comes back into what I was saying before about giving everything away for free at the start. So I know you said you had the hardest question earlier, so we're going to see how this goes. <laughs> I want to give you a hypothetical situation. You're approaching retirement age and decide you want some pension advice. You live in Derbyshire. You search Google for financial advisors in your area offering pensions advice. Can you talk me through what a financial planning firm needs to do to appear in those top search results without paying for adverts? Yeah. <laughs> so um, I'm actually, my jury's out on, on Google for financial planners. Um, I kind of preface that with something. So we talked before, didn't we, about how referrals and word of mouth are, are kind of, everyone knows that they're realistically the biggest kind of source of new clients for financial planners. Um, you don't get those through Google. And also there's lead generation software out there as well. So let's, let's say, for instance, let's, let's think about another thing. So if I'm looking for a plumber near me, um, I might search Google for a plumber near me. Um, what I'm most likely to do, though, is to is to go to one of my friends or my family or colleague or something like that and say, you know, do you have any plumbers that you've had before? Do you reckon that Jack recommend anyone? So that's referrals and word of mouth. And then, or what I'll do is I will go on Checker Trade, which is like the kind of equal thing, but in the trades profession, mm -hmm. um, and search for plumbers near me. And then that'll bring, you know, all the results up and stuff like that, which is equivalent of, I know they're not kind of, the, they've not got the best reputation, but unbiased and vouched for and things like that yeah. in our profession. So if we think about financial planning, do you think, I think that a lot of people, again, this, um, this isn't evidence-based, I'm just assuming this, but I think if a lot of people are looking for a financial planner, they'll ask their friend or their family or their colleague who they work with and they go with them, or they'll search on unbiased or something like that, like lead generation software. They don't know it's lead generation. They just think it's finding someone for them um, first. After that, maybe I would ask Google. So so that's just a massive preface to what, to what I was going to say. But what the, the, to appear top in the search results without ads, yeah, because ads come up first. We all know that. But how many people actually click on ads? You more, you normally scroll through the ads, don't you? I do, um, yeah. yeah every, I mean, I don't know if that's kind of like a generational thing, but I and me and you probably scroll through the ads first and just ignore them. What Google, I don't know if Google changed this last year, but um, when you search something near me now in Google, it brings up, I don't know if you've noticed, but it brings up kind of a map first. It brings up the local search. And that local search is, well, it's not mainly, but a massive part of you appearing first on that local search is your, the amount of reviews that you have on Google. So I, I'm sorry, this is an area that I should have mentioned before, that. that financial that financial planners are perhaps missing these Google reviews. I mm. think that we, should, we need to take a lot more kind of notice of them and we need to use them a lot more to our advantage. Um, because if you have, there's a lot more things that come into it, but if you have 10 five-star reviews on Google and the one that the financial planning firm that's two miles down the road from you has none, you nine times out of 10 will most likely appear above them on that local search. So if we talk about, you know, put this in the hypothetical, I search financial planning in Derbyshire. I scroll down past the ads because no one looks at them. Mm -hmm. And then the, the local search comes up. If I've got 10 reviews, I'm probably going to come up first opposed to the person below me. That doesn't even count 
organic search. I could not, I could potentially not even be on the first page of Google, but I could come up first on the local search based on the amount of reviews that I have. So again, I mean, you know, fact check what I'm saying here, guys, do a bit of research onto it as well, but this is just kind of my experience. But I think Google, even if this isn't the truth, but Google reviews are massively important. I think we need to take them a lot more seriously. Um, And they're not hard to ask for, you know, I mean, even when you get to the end of your kind of initial process with a client, if you just say to them, listen, could you just maybe give us a review on Google and let us know how we did? Um, You know, most people will probably do that. So I think Google reviews uh, are, are probably the thing that you should take away from what I've just said. Awesome. I had no idea that that's how that worked. So thank you, Dan. You learn something new every day. Yeah, I do. So I want to talk briefly about cost and return on investment, because I know this is where a lot of people's scepticism tends to uh, to creep in. So what kind of a budget is needed to start marketing, if any, and do firms need to hire someone to take this on? Yes, it's funny that you said if any there. Um, you can actually market for free, really. Um, I mean, you know, most financial planning firms don't have a massive marketing budget, but they do pretty well. Referrals and word of mouth cost nothing, do they? So mm-hmm. that's that counts as marketing. So that's free marketing. Um, this is a difficult question, and, and loads of specialists that I've heard from over the years have different figures on how much you should spend on your marketing. The figure that I've seen thrown around most often is 10% of your revenue. I think that's pre-tax revenue, uh, which that may seem like a large figure. It might seem like a huge figure. The way to get yourself around that kind of thinking is to think of it as a kind of investment rather than a cost. So think of it as as putting, you know, let's say your revenue is 200 grand a year. Think of it as putting 20 grand in to get 40, 50 grand out or something like that. That might, I mean, I'm not going to guarantee that you're going to get that. But if you think about it, it makes it much easier to sleep at night thinking that I may get something back from this in the future. You will. The likelihood is you probably will get something. You'll get a return on your investment. Um, but in reality, I think people shouldn't just throw money at it. Um, I think the best way to think about this is is to have an objective thinking. So think about what you actually want to achieve and then go for that rather than just throw in 20 grand into Facebook ads uh, or some or similar. Um, think about what you want to do. So for instance, do you want to get five new clients by the end of this year on from Facebook? And then try and work out how much that's realistically going to cost and then do that. So take an objective approach rather than just a throwing money at it approach. I think then once, once you reach those objectives, which you probably will, that'll feel much, much better. And then you'll be more confident to put even more money into this in the future as well. And it'll just make you much more confident. So again, difficult question, but hopefully that kind of clears things up for people. Sorry, I feel like I'm asking you all the difficult questions. <laughs> um, I'm going to ask you another one. So just to play devil's advocate here, we know that there are more clients that need advice than there are advisors available to provide it. So it might seem like marketing isn't necessary. What would you say to that? Mm. I probably agree. If 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 um, just to just to be, just to play devil's advocate on your devil's advocate. Now, so if we're talking about acquiring new customers, right? So say say for instance, if your financial planning firm is full and you've oversubscribed and you've got full capacity, you can't take anyone else on. Yeah, you don't go hard on your marketing because you know you, there's no point because you're just setting people up for disappointment because you can't even serve them anyways. Mm-hmm. But we all know that keeping customers is the real aim of what we're trying to do we're trying to keep clients and and stop them from going elsewhere because they give us much more lifetime value than taking on a new client will 
Um, and there's this thing called, I don't know if anyone's heard of it, it's called post-purchase dissonance. So what that basically means is, is that once your client is on board, the next few months are absolutely crucial to keep them keeping them on board because they've just handed over a massive amount of their life and investment into you. They're going to want to see something in return for that alongside the service that they've just been given. Um, so if, if even if you're full and you're oversubscribed and you've got no capacity and everything, the very least that you should be doing is targeting your existing customers and just making sure that they still feel seen and heard. And the, the best way to do that is like a newsletter or something, you know, specifically for your existing clients and just keep them up with everything that's going on, you know, just keep them in the loop and um, tell them what's going on. Maybe give them some useful articles, blogs, videos, something like that. Um, just, just keep them in the loop of what's going on. So they don't feel like they've just been chucked in the deep end and then left there to, to, to learn how to swim. Um, and what I would say is that marketing is, is always going to be necessary if you want to run a business because marketing is simply just getting, you know, it's just a message on how you solve some people's problems. That's all it is. So if you're going to want to run a business, you'll always need to market it, even if that's your existing clients or your, your future clients in the future. Yeah, I love that. Uh, so thank you. I'm going to stop grilling you now. I feel like I've asked a lot of <laughs> <laughs> but, um, just to back on what I was saying about you being a marketing guru, just so our mm. listeners are aware, you have just taken a qualification with the Chartered Institute of Marketing. Uh, yeah. I can't remember exactly which one it was. So can you just uh, remind me what it was and, and how was that? Yeah, so it's, it's the, oh God, I can't even remember the name of it myself. It's the Certificate in Professional Digital Marketing. Um, basically, it's just kind of a tick box one to, to, for, to so you can eventually go for the chartered one, because that's what I'm really interested in. I want to be a chartered marketer. So it was really interesting. Um, you know, there's some fantastic learns in there. Most of the stuff that I've just been talking about there, I wouldn't have known if I didn't do the qualification. So it's really good. Um, very, very different to the finance exams, because um, you're doing them right now. So I can tell you that they're very different to them. Yeah, well, not as many calculations and not as many legislative and not as much regulation um but sounds good <laughs> yeah it's really good it is really really good. i mean even if you know even if you're in financial planning i th think these kind of qualifications could be useful for you even just to know what you're talking about when you're talking about this kind of stuff so yeah it's really good awesome so before i let you go uh you've just brought your first home and you've got a puppy how's that going <laughs> um it was a weird time to do it as well with the conference last last week as well. It, I'm, I'm not going to lie. It's quite overwhelming. Um, I think it's, you know, I'm going to be honest and say that I've got, I've, it's a real shock to the system. I know a lot of people out there with like kids and stuff will be laughing at me thinking, God, you'd have no idea, but it is a big shock to the system when you've been responsible for yourself for your whole life. And then all of a sudden there's something else that is completely dependent on you and your time and your energy. Um, but it's, I mean, she's cute as a button. So, you know, you can't really, uh, you know, it's, it's, it doesn't seem like a chore when you actually see her. Um, but yeah, it's very, very exciting times. So Awesome. Yeah, it's, it's all going good. Excellent, excellent, good to hear. Uh, before I sign off, how can people get in touch with you if they have any questions? Yeah, so um, best way, uh, and it's weird saying this, but it's on LinkedIn. Um, I, you know, just connect with me on there. I'd love to connect with many people as possible. Um, I should say as well, um, and this is, um, might regret saying this, but 
um, on the Next Gen Planners website, um, on the membership page, there is a link to my Calendly. So if anyone wants to find out more about Next Gen Planners or anything like that, or even just the stuff that we've been talking about here, um, you know, I've given my calendar invite out and people can just book 20 minutes in with me if they want to. Um, so LinkedIn or there is probably the best way to get in touch with me. Look at you sticking to your principles and giving away your time for free. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to regret that, aren't I? <laughs> Awesome. Thank you so much, Dan. And thank you everyone for listening. Uh, if you have any questions for Dan, uh, do get in touch with him. If you have any questions for us at NMA, you can get in touch with us on any social media at New Model Advisor. Otherwise, have a wonderful rest of your day. And thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.